Hi, I'm Natalie, and welcome to Infinitely Irrational, where I discuss the real eccentric and complex history of math. In each episode, I unearth the wild stories behind some famous or not so famous mathematicians. Today, we'll finish up our trilogy on Emily Du Châtelet by answering the following questions What's the best way to pull an all nighter over an entire month? What's the worst way to seek revenge on an enemy? What do either of these have to do with math? Let's find out. So Rob, today we're going to continue talking about what she studied, which was optics. And I know you love nerding out about this. So do you want to tell us a little about optics? Well, when I think of optics, I think of, you know, the transmission of or the bending of or the separating of light into different spectrums. I appreciate that you just had that off the top of your head, and that was like your legit definition. And well, I mean, I, I really don't know how correct I am. I haven't had a, a physics class since I was a freshman. I know, but you're like the bending of like it sounded so technical. So I'm gonna, I'm yeah, gonna don't trust me at all with what I just <laughs> well, said. Well, I'm gonna loosen it up. So essentially, what she studied was the color of lights and also heat. I want to tell you a story about some drama here. So in 1737, this whole episode really is drama. I'm so excited. Oh, boy. In 1737, the Academy of Sciences announced a competition. And what they said was, we want the best essay on the nature of fire. Fire hot. <laughs> I'm sure you would have won. I would have won. That's it. Fire, fire hot. hot. Fire <laughs> hurt. Burn. Chemistry was still in its infancy here. So, you know, maybe the fire hot burn. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfectly adequate essay on the nature of fire. Who knows? What people wanted to know, I guess in this in this contest, people wanted to know whether heat was actually like a, a material substance, like whether it was a thing or whether it was a form of energy. And actually, this was in hot controversy. So you could carry around a cup of uh, heat. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my heat. Give me my heat. I need I need two cups of heat, please. You <laughs> First of all, you didn't even appreciate my my pun. It's in hot controversy. <laughs> that one flew right past me. I'm sorry. I didn't catch it. Cuz you were busy carrying Dude, around my, your two my cups, cups of, of heat. heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Voltaire at this point decides he's when the contest is announced, Voltaire decides he's going to enter the competition. Okay. And so he and Emily, they start working on experiments. Newton at the time, remember these two really were all about Newton. Right. He believed that heat was energy, but he couldn't come up with a convincing thesis. So nobody took it seriously. Oh, okay. So he had part one and part three, but no part two. Part one, heat is energy. Part two, proving it. We'll just skip right over that and go straight to part three. Well, you know, in math textbooks, it's like the reader can easily see. Maybe that's what ah, he did. It's obvious. What is wrong with you dunces? <laughs> clearly. It clearly can be seen. So most scientists at the time believed that, like we talked about, you know, heat was a material source. You know, you could carry around your two cups of heat and it had You're some rich weight man to with, it. Yeah. If you, if you have two cups of heat. You got to put it in a backpack and carry it around. <laughs> like, you know, you weighted like ankle weights or something. You know, you could carry around your heat. Um, and, and so an object would get heavier when it was heated. But actually, Emily and Voltaire disproved this in their experiments. And then so later scientists adopted the theory that heat was a weightless fluid. So a month before the contest closed, Emily decides to enter the contest secretly. With... All of her spare time. All of her free time. Like, what she got? She got her plays where she has to learn her lines. Yeah. Um, she's got her math problems that she does before breakfast. 
Let us not forget at night all the fun. Oh, she all has. that, all the gambling and uh-huh. flirting and affairing that she does all at night. All of that, and and so exactly. So she's got, and like, then repeats it the next day. And then so. she's working at the academy, right? So, or you know, at Siri, which is the the academy, basically now. And um, so she's got all that stuff that she's heard in her laboratory and everything else. <laughs> so she's working with Voltaire on his thing, and actually, the the whole reason she entered was because she uh disagreed with what Voltaire was concluding. Okay. Now what's interesting here to me is that she's helping him work on the experiments and they're going through this and he's obviously talking with her about the way this paper is going because you know she's not in the contest and he starts coming up with kind of a conclusion here and then a and then thesis, she I guess. And disagrees. She, she disagrees. And so she enters the contest. So the first time I read this, I was like, oh, wow. You know, did she do this because she didn't want to hurt his feelings that she thought like she was going to compete? Because she came up with a different thesis. She argued, contradicting what he was saying, that light and heat were actually the same substance. What she said was that light occurred when particles moved in a straight line. Okay. But that it generated heat when they moved irregularly and also that different colors of light emitted different amounts of heat. Okay. How does it make much sense to me? So if I took a 100-watt light bulb or if I took 200-watt light bulbs and wrapped them in different colored cellophane, they would produce different amounts of heat? You didn't know that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm No. I think what this was saying was like you when I was tiny, I somebody told me that blue flame was hotter than yellow flame. Okay. And I... I am in agreement. Yes. So that was Based on my childhood experiments. (laughs) Burning things with a lighter. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure that you you had... It was very scientific. It was. Will it burn faster if I put it in the blue part of the flame versus the white part of the flame? I'm sure you also timed it. Versus hot. Yes. Fire hot, hot. as you said. (laughs) So in any case, I, you know, I remember being shocked at the time when I learned that because all the blue, like all the dials on the AC or wherever it was, was blue for Blue is cold, red is hot. Red is hot. So the first time I heard this, I thought that's bizarre. And also when I was thinking about this, I was like, when was the first time I heard that? And I really felt it sounded like something you would have told me, but... I don't think that... I really don't yeah. think I would have ever told you that. Because, I would just have assumed you knew it as yeah, an adult. Yeah, because I was, I was an older person <laughs> at this point in time. But anyway, I want to get back to this. So she, she kept it secret. Kept it safe. Kept it safe because she actually wanted to test her skill without anybody knowing. Like she wanted to see would this hold up. Oh, oh, that's right, because she's a woman mm-hmm. and you know it wouldn't be uh, held with any regard. And one of the things that's interesting to me is that Remember how I think it was in the first episode we said that uh, I told you that her she and her husband lived separate lives, but then I read something that, you know, called that really into question? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's possible this is just due to the nature of history. No one really cared much about uh, her husband. It'd be, you know, uh, her relationships with other people in her, in her science. So- That's true, because history did, you know, focus on her affairs in science. Well, wait, not her affairs in science. Her affairs... <laughs> And science. Right. But in reading the source, the source said that she entered in secret and she, the only person she told was her husband. Which, you know, it, it probably makes sense just because it, they don't focus much on her husband. They likely, I mean, they were married. I mean, they never, 
separated. Right. So likely they had a close relationship and did talk about things. True that, true that. So you're probably wondering, you know, she has a month. Voltaire had the whole time to do this thing. He's doing all the experiments, everything else. I mean, did, did she just stop in the middle of all her other experiments and say, I've got a month to go to this, you know, this parallel route, route to Voltaire. Uh, she had Voltaire. a time turner. A time, yeah, the, yeah, yeah back in, up in her and, uh, laboratory yeah. she created it. So what she did was she, every night, she worked all night. And guess how she stayed awake? How did she do it? She plunged her hands in cold water. That doesn't really seem that dramatic. I don't know why I didn't think of this when I had to pull all-nighters in college if I had only plunged my hands in cold water. I mean, they had a laboratory. Seems like they could come up with something better than cold water. Well, chemistry was in its infancy, so, you know, I don't think they had the capability to come up with chemical... (laughs) (laughs) Chemical enhancements to, uh, (laughs) to stay awake. No, all I can think of is the Hulk... But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so they they both enter this, Voltaire with much fanfare probably, and Emily secretly. I am Voltaire. I'm going to enter the contest. Mm-hmm. Here is my essay. Observe. Anywho, neither of them won the prize, and they both were bitterly disappointed. And in fact, she only told Voltaire she entered the contest after they both lost. Wow. I wonder. So, but they worked side by side all the time in their lab and he never knew what she was working on for that month long period. Well, remember she was doing it at night. Oh. She was plunging her hands in the the cold cold water water and and staying awake and working. Okay. So Euler, Leonard Euler and two others won. So I guess, you know, fine. They didn't, it wasn't like they lost to some yahoo down the road. They actually lost. What is the definition of winning when none of this is proven? I don't have the rubric for that, but I uh, from from sources say that it was for the best essay. So Firehot might <laughs> might win. Might be good. Now, because of so two sources here, their their papers got published with the winners, with the three winners. Okay. But sources are conflicted. One person or one source, one person, one source said that it was because of Voltaire's influence and their notoriety together. And another source said it's because the papers were so good. Well, I would imagine it was something, a contest like this, all of them would be very remarkable for the time being. So, I mean, for the time. So why wouldn't you publish them all? I guess I, that's a good question. I don't, maybe because they had a rubric and they you just failed didn't. to meet the rubric. We're not publishing yours. Mm-hmm. Now, her next work that she published was anonymous. And from the beginning... Guess what? Oh, I'm sure it was controversial. How did you guess? How did you know? She had such a boring life. <laughs> <laughs> so she wanted to actually educate her kids, and she wanted, for her son, she wanted an up-to-date physics textbook. Okay. She's talking to her neighbor, and who was also her friend, and the friend told her that she should make one since she didn't like what currently existed on the market, I guess before publishers. Yeah, that's what you do, talking to your neighbor in the front yard at the time. Uh, Yeah, me and my neighbor always have these conversations about publishing books. Yeah, common common everyday uh, front yard talk. (laughs) No. There were two books on the market at the time. So you got choices. You got choices, Professor Rhodes. Yes. Uh, do you uh, want textbook one or textbook two? Well, here let me let me give you the pros and cons of each book. Sure. Or actually, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the publisher's rep, and I'm gonna come in and talk to you, Professor Rhodes. Oh my God, are we both Professor Rhodes? In this scenario, yes. <laughs> so the first one 
was too narrow of a focus for her son's education. Now, in my mind, I think this means that it was more advanced because if I think of a book um, that is very narrow of a focus, is it something like topology that I have to have a basic understanding of lots of math before I can get there? Okay, so it'd be something that's, you know, it's an inch wide, but a, but a mile deep. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so very in depth in a very narrow way. Right. Okay. Now, I was talking to one of my friends who's a philosopher, and he was telling me that there are kind of two schools of thought with philosophy textbooks that I feel is relevant to mention here. The first one is exactly what you've described, which is we're going to dig in really deep to this one, um, to this one concept. And then the second one is where it's very broad, but, you know, doesn't go in deep into any one particular thing. So it just depends on- So you're going to learn a little bit about all the philosopher mm-hmm. kings, but not any in-depth- information about each about each one i love that you're like philosopher kings like what if there's a philosopher peasant that's also mentioned well no one would talk to them (laughs) they're a peasant the second textbook are you ready for the second one sure it was over 80 years old up to date up to date now we said i feel i might have had some textbooks like this in grade school grade school oh yeah. my god you know go get your textbook out of the thing and wrap it with uh you know the brown paper with the brown paper and i'm like this was published you know 20 years before i was uh born <laughs> so what you're saying is that in grade school you were 60 no <laughs> <laughs> hey some of my favorite cookbooks are from you oh, know they're that. over 60 years old so now the thing with this physics book is that we got to remember at the time we mentioned chemistry was in its infancy, fire hot as discussed. <laughs> and also this was around the time where Newton and Leibniz were coming into, you know, bringing calculus. And if you think about physics, you really need calculus, you know, to do physics. And so this book didn't have any of those techniques for sure, for sure. And right. stuff was just starting to come in. So what, what I, what I love is that, she looks at these two books, she sees the problems with both of them, and she decides, I got to make something better for my son. As she would do. As she would do. So her work was actually faithful, is very faithful to Newton's physics, mm-hmm. but it also had some Leibniz in there because she wanted not just the materialistic physics, but also the metaphysics. Oh, wow. I know. We talked, I've been going off about Newton and Leibniz being Star Wars versus Star Trek. Can you imagine if you had someone that was like, I'm going to blend the best of Star Wars and Star Trek together and like- I think that would make a lot of people really angry. (laughs) We'll have to wait and see if anyone does it. And so and those I, are some pretty serious factions there. Same with Newton and Leibniz. True. I can't wait to talk. I love you say true. You're like, yeah, let's get into this math fight. <laughs> so, but, uh, but so she reconciled the two and she included what's interesting is how she put together this book. It's actually similar to books of today where it has, you know, a little bit of historical background. And then we have uh, some of the most recent developments. There were also definitions as it introduced various concepts and things like Every that. Every odd problem is solved. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. She's like, I recommend, son, that you do every other odd. Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe she even invented a homework system and she was like, she, you know, you'd assign the questions and have late submittal. Yes. That's exactly what it was like. Head of her time. <laughs> 
And so she was able to, to summarize the science, the philosophy, you know, blending in the Newton and the Leibniz. But now I have some more drama. I'm going to spill some tea. Oh, there's no drama in her life. No, none at all. I can't wait to tell you the story, though. Like, I've been waiting all three episodes just to get to this story. I wish it was in episode one. You know, like in Cardano at the very end. Mm -hmm. This is this is this is that face slashing incident. So do you remember uh, back in the day, whichever episode it was, where we talked about her tutor, Samuel Koenig. And by the way, I googled how to pronounce his name. And apparently in English, you pronounce it Koenig. But I wanted to find like the proper pronunciation. And in German, it's pronounced Kunich. So I don't know how quite to pronounce this name. So I'm just going to say Koenig. So please forgive me all. But remember how he quit tutoring her. Oh, that's right. They were having an argument over infinitely small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she chastised him for being wrong in her mind and ran him off. Well, who knows what their like their whole relationship was because she was rough on her tutors to begin with, but they couldn't agree on what it was. And so they basically were like, never speak to me again. It's over. I'm leaving. It's over. Leave. Get out. Yeah. So in any case, she- Bring me the next tutor. <laughs> <laughs> King Henry VIII and his wife. There's, yeah, there's, the, there's a line Shotley. of tutors. They're yeah. all kind of, you know, shaking in line going, oh, God, it's me next. Oh, my gosh. That, like, what you just described was, you know, in the beginning scenes of Mary Poppins when Mr. Banks is like, we need to get a tutor and all of them, or we need to get a, a nanny and all the nannies are out. And then Mary Poppins comes floating down and, like, all the nannies blow away. <laughs> <laughs> now, he, he quit tutoring her because they couldn't come to this agreement. Quit. Yeah, I quit. She ran him off. You believe that? Yeah. They came. How about this? They came. They to, came to an understanding and yes, parted ways. And they parted ways. That that's probably the most accurate. Now, Mapertui, uh, Koenig, and then Bernoulli, who taught both of them, they were they came to visit Siri. And since everyone was loving this book that had been published, remember she published it anonymously. Right. They were all discussing it. You know how amazing this book was. So while they were all there... I mean, is it like the author just says anonymous? Or does it have like some crazy name that she made up? It just says she published it anonymously. So I think it's just, instead of saying like Newton's Principia, you know... I mean, I guess it's such a small network of people that it couldn't be some made up name. It would just be... They'd be like, who is that? No, ah, it would just be like it. physics. That's all it says. <laughs> who published this book, Physics. <laughs> So they're all talking at the academy about how amazing this book is. And she realized that there were some parts of the Leibnizian metaphysics that maybe she needed a little bit of help with. So she confides in, in Koenig, that she wrote... The man she ran off. The man she... Correct. Mm -hmm. Which maybe like this wasn't the best idea. idea. Yeah. Right. But so she, she confides in him that she wrote this manuscript and he, she says to him, can you help me with some revisions on the Leibnizian stuff? So he does whatever, fine. He rolls back to Paris after this conversation and about six months later decides, listen to this. All right. He spills the tea. He says, peeps, guess who wrote that book? Physics or whatever it's called. Guess who wrote it? Emily du Châtelet. And furthermore, guess what else, peeps? I dictated the work to her. She was my scribe. Uh-huh. Because she's a woman and she could never do this on her own. So shady. That is shady. 
So she's upset. because he got slapped around as a tutor. No need to do all this. I love that. This. That's like nothing will convince you otherwise. No. Yeah, you know, he, <laughs> that's the like way it is. You were like 100% on Team Emily here. <laughs> so she, hur- she was so upset. She hurriedly finished the earlier chapters. Went through a lot of cold water, I imagine. I get <laughs> the, the only way to stay awake. And then she talked to Mopertui and the French Academy and she begged them for support. But it wasn't until after she died that she was like finally vindicated fully. As happens to a lot of famous people in history, it's not until, you know, history is written that they're, you know, you finally hear their story. It's so funny that you say that because I was thinking every time I listen, I don't know why my thing with Hamilton right now, but every time I listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. It's because you, know, you have the soundtrack on all the time when you're working. It's a good soundtrack. It is a good soundtrack, but you're like, I don't know why I'm in Hamilton. Why do I know all the lyrics by heart? It's a mystery to me. So, but when George Washington is talking to Hamilton and Hamilton is being his usual, just impetuous self where he's like, we have to do all the things. And George Washington is like, stop doing all the things like chill. History will, you know, prove us right. And I just can't help but wonder I really don't believe that George Washington was so mature that he was like, history will prove us right. I think he was just trying to get through the day and be like, could you stop being a jerk? Yeah, I know. I could imagine like a big sigh, just like, Hamilton. Will you just get back to being my secretary? (laughs) We got stuff to do. I got to say, like, I'm shading Hamilton, but frankly, I 100% feel Hamilton. Like, I I wrote the same thing. I mean... Sir, you need to be angry. He's like, just, you know how much is going on right Mm -hmm. now. Just, just write my words. Write my words, please. We ate our, we are eating our, we have resolved to eating our words. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Back to, back back to this. History will prove, will will prove her right. Right. She was George Washington in this In in this scenario. Okay. (laughs) What happened during this time? Fights ensued via letter. So in my mind, because of who I am as a person, I'm envisioning, you know, like Hedwig and Errol and they're, they're just- They're passing in midair. Yeah. And they're like glaring at each other as they're passing, right? That's what I- Strongly I'm, worded letters are being mm-hmm. sent back and forth. And it was like, you plagiarized, did not, did do. And so at this See, point- See, I really like the idea of you have these two factions, right? Uh-huh. They're each in a building across the street from each other. And they can come out and like, you know, wave their compasses at each other and fight and slap each other around a little bit and then go back into their buildings. Oh, my gosh. What you're describing is basically Street Fighter in 3D, though. (laughs) (laughs) Did not. Did too. All right. Back regroup. So this you're going to love what I'm about to tell you then. The Academy at this point was just recently converted from Descartes to Newton. Is it like they come in and change the wallpaper? Yeah, first it was all Descartes colors, and then it was... You know how, like, Dumbledore will clap his hands and it changed from... Oh, it changes all the house colors? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was exactly what they did in in the academy area, I'm sure. Now, this quote that I read in the source said that, anxious for controversy... Why not? Yeah, the academy... Things are a little too calm around here. Correct. The academy was anxious for controversy. Well, you know, they got to be relevant. (laughs) They embarked on the Newton-Leibniz debate. And because, remember this physics book had blended in Leibniz in, it folded it in to Newton. So all the Newton supporters saw Shotley as a traitor. All and, right. Yeah, they just were like, this is, this is the worst. However, some good came of this because nobody could deny that it was her work. Because 
Voltaire, remember before they were like, oh, Voltaire would never, you know, like it's got to be his work. And he was like, no, the Lady Newton is amazing and all these things and all these things. So Voltaire at this point was publicly just shading Leibniz. Okay. I mean, not proclaiming, um, publicly proclaiming how terrible Leibniz was. He was like, this is the worst. So they couldn't deny it. Yeah, they couldn't say, well, it's Voltaire's work and not Emily's. And what was what was great was that it was serious science. This actually silenced her critics who basically just had called her Voltaire's mistress. What could they do now? And now lots of younger scientists started showing up to study with her. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah because, because she was hashtag living her best life. Yeah. Now, at this time, Koenig writes an essay, and I, I looked into some of the story on this, and it's crazy and ridiculous, so I'm not going to get into all of it right now, but Koenig writes this essay attacking Mapertui, which then caused issues with the Berlin Academy. Fellow's always getting in trouble. I know. Why does he have to go? He comes back to Paris. He's like, guess what? I wrote this book. And then Emily was like, Mapertui. You know, he sounds like that whiny little guy that finally gets his comeuppance, you know? Yeah, yeah. This is exactly karma for him right now, because the last, like, several years of his life where basically like all his time was spent on this particular argument. So that's fun for him. Oh yeah, sounds great. Yeah, like I don't understand why you gotta be fighting with all the people, whatever, it's fine, it's fine. Back to Emily. So towards the end of her life, cause we're now like, you know, taking the final turn. Okay. Towards the end of her life, she translated with Newton's Principia into French. And this also included her commentaries. The first part of this was mathematical, and then the second was a six-chapter revision of the elements. To this day, it remains the only French translation of Newton. To wait, there's it's never been done again. Just yeah, is once. It perfect. It's per- oh, first yeah. first time right first out the time gate. Right perfect. Out the gate, yeah. Since the 1700s till now. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Beautiful. Per- amazingness. I wonder what uh, I wonder what edition they're in now. One. One. <laughs> <laughs> I want to note here that I'm giving you, I'm going to give you a couple dates. Uh, She completed the translation in 1747. Mm -hmm. Then she did the commentaries and printing began. But ultimately publishing didn't happen until 10 years after she died in 1759. So did they have like a warehouse full of books? They just didn't turn them loose? No, she had written the commentaries. And, um, you know, I think they had started like actually getting the printing it's a slow typesetter <laughs> dang 10 years after her death her book finally makes it out the door finally makes it out okay now i tell you this because she completed the the uh translation like i said in 1747 so after this was complete but then right she had a lot more work to do with the commentaries and everything else so after she the translation was complete she meets this guy named the marquis de saint lambert good lord these names these, I mean, is there like a trumpeter to come announce these people when they have a meeting? Well, I've seen a bunch of Disney movies where that does happen, but it's usually for balls and stuff, like where somebody says- You're you going to spend the first hour, uh, everybody gets announced and their names read aloud so everybody can nod approvingly? Well, you know, like when Cinderella comes in, I'm pretty sure it was Cinderella. She was late because- Fashionably? She to, well, she needed to wait for her fairy godmother. And so she shows up at the doorstep, right? And I think they announced her arrival- and so maybe it was like, as you come in, you get announced. 
Maybe they think about this when they're naming their children. What will sound nice? What will sound the best being announced to an entire room of people? Well, but this is just, so Marquis, because he's a Marquis, mm -hmm. and then his last name is De Saint Lambert. So that's not even the Fine, first it's name. perfectly reasonable. <laughs> In any case, you respect this man's title, sir. All right, I will. Um, and so, so he was an army officer 10 years her junior. Guess what? She, uh, well, I mean, she obviously had a new affair. How, how did you know? Well, you know, between gambling and affairs and learning. I mean, this is her thing. Classic, Emily. <laughs> so she falls in love. They have another affair. And the source says, um, the sources rather, that her letters were among the most passionate of the century. That's what it says. And then it continues on. Even surpassing Voltaire's erotic correspondence with his latest lover, his niece, Louise Denise. Okay, there's two things here. One. A lot to unpack. No, yeah, one, niece. All right. I mean, we just won't even touch that one. And two, um, so are these things, I mean, are all of their love letters gathered up and published as part of the public record of the time? That's what I wanted to know. Like, can you imagine, you know, people, like if people, first of all, if oh. anybody published my text messages, they'd just be a bunch <laughs> of memes. So... <laughs> Anybody. You know, we go back to the grocery store checkout aisles. It's like, oh, what's this week's you know, latest love letters People. by Voltaire? <laughs> Inquirer. <laughs> well, no, no, Weekly World News. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Bat Boy was my favorite. Okay. Now, she's 42 at this time, and she ends okay. up pregnant. Wow. Okay. So I actually looked up the... Uh, life expectancy of France in the in the mid 1700s and I think that was something like 29 for the population as a whole. Dang. So she's already well past her the typical uh life expectancy of the 1700s in France and she gets pregnant. But if you even think about it like if somebody were 42 right now in like this year and they found out oh, they and were they're pregnant. pregnant. Yeah, they would be like, oh my. It's, it's like, are we going to take all these extra precautions uh -huh. and to ensure a healthy pregnancy? Yeah, apparently, all the things. apparently, if you get pregnant over 35, it's called a geriatric pregnancy. I mean, that's just rude. I know. How, just whatever, it's fine. Anyway, also, 42 and pregnant just sounds like the next MTV They're series. really scraping the bottom of the barrel for a new series, aren't w they? Watch it. They're going to they're gonna make it. And I'm 42 be and so pregnant. Mad. That's a great series. Let's, that, yeah, we should we should do that. They're going to make it. I'm going to be so mad because it's my idea. Um, anyway. Yes, it's your idea to get pregnant at 42. No, my idea to have a show that's called 42 and pregnant. <laughs> now, you're going to love this next part. One source that I read said that she, and for some random reason, Voltaire, as well as Saint Lambert, they all roll up back to her house and then they tried to convince her husband that the child was his. Gosh, that poor man. I can just imagine, you know, this guy sitting back in his bolstered leather couch. He's got a big glass of something strong and maybe a book on his lap and he just looks at him over his glasses and is just like, yeah, all right, that's fine. It's, Whatever. It's funny that you say that because from what I read, he basically was like, okay, Boomer, because the love affair was gossip between their friends already, and it really wasn't a secret, but he also appeared to be fine with it. So I think that exactly Whatever what you, you want me to publicly proclaim, that's fine. Just get out of my study. I'm trying to read and enjoy my I'm trying to read and enjoy, read my, and enjoy my, my strong drink. And no, because it was like, you know, he was so fine with it and everything, Voltaire felt comfortable making this joke, which is like the best joke I've ever heard. 
he made a joke that since the child couldn't claim a father, he suggested that they classify it among Emily's miscellaneous works. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it's uh, Physics Book Volume 1, Child Volume (laughs) 4. Volume (laughs) 4! Okay, so... So again, remember she's forty-two, and she she was worried that she wouldn't survive childbirth. Well, considering that everybody is already usually dead, dead by this point, yeah, yeah. much okay. less pregnant. But because priorities, she wanted to finish her work on Newton before confinement. Sure, as she would do. Mm-hmm. Based on history thus far. Yeah. Now, this is where things get a little confusing because you know she obviously got pregnant. Then she somehow communicated with her husband, along with these two gentlemen, Voltaire and Saint Lambert, to tell her husband that the kid was his, and he was like, whatevs. And so it says here that she then stayed at the house of King Stanislaus, where she was before, I think it was of Poland, which is where she met Marquis de Saint Lambert. So I'm confused if she went home and then went back, or, you know, what happened there, but she... Either way, that's where she ends up. That's where she is now. I'm going to imagine that she took a quick trip to meet her husband and then was like, cool, I'm going back to do, you know, my Newton. Because all trips my are so arduous at the time, you I know? know? Like, exactly. That's why I'm so confused. Maybe he was visiting her. I don't know. In any case, she st- she asks King Stanislaus, she's like, could I, could I please stay here to finish my work on Newton? She says, do not reproach me for my Newton. I am sufficiently punished for it. I don't know if she thinks pregnancy is punishment. It's confusing. Never have I made a greater sacrifice to reason than in remaining here to finish. So she knows this is a stupid idea, but she's going to do it. She has to finish it. And then she's got, she even outlines her schedule here with, with what, with what she does each day. You want to hear it? Well, I'm imagining, you know, she's going to, she's 42 years old at a time when she's already passed the life expectancy Mm -hmm. of most people and she's pregnant. So I imagine it's going to have a lot to do with proper diet. Yep. Good sleep. Correct. You know, everything that she needs to do to to ensure the health of her and her child. Yeah. All right. So what is it? All right. So that primer, she wakes up at eight or nine. Good for her. Mm Mm-hmm. She, after she wakes up, she works until three and then has some coffee. All right, so wake up at eight or nine, work, 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 and then, you know, to, to, you know, get some nourishment, have some coffee. Coffee. Yeah, all right. Then she works again from four to ten, so I guess coffee lasts an hour. She works from four to ten. So she has like five cups of coffee. (laughs) Yeah. She works again from four to ten. She eats alone, and then she talks till midnight with Voltaire. Well, at least she's stopped with her gambling and uh, nightly. Because she's going to die in these, like, whatever pregnancy, nine months, however pregnant she is right now, she knows her time is coming. So she doesn't have time to gamble. She got finished her Newton. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so she's, yeah, she's doing a good job here. Yeah, so she, she eats alone. She talks till midnight till Voltaire. And then from midnight to 5 a.m., she's working. This is just... All right. I love your face. Like, you listeners can't see your face, but your eyes, you just look at me like somehow this is something I'm doing. You're like, why are you doing this? (laughs) And so she says, I must do this or lose the fruit of my labor if I should die in childbed. I finish it from reason and honor, but I love only you. The fruit of her labors is her works, not her children. Well, she's kind of demonstrated that her entire life, you know. She had her three kids and she's like, okay, I'm, and then found, the, you know, the uh, P. 
people to raise her kids for. And then she's like, all right, I'm done with all that. Now I can work. But then she wanted to educate them. And so she wrote this whole book to well, educate Maybe she them. just wanted to make a book. No, I think she wanted to educate them. All she didn't right. like what was out there on the market. So she, she does this, right? And when the child is born, Voltaire describes what happens. And it's very evident that he is intimately familiar with what happens in childbirth. Because he says... She gave birth while working at her desk and put the newborn on a volume of geometry while she summoned a maid. Well, every childbirth just, ever just like that. like that. Plus, I have a hard time with as much as she loved her books that she would put a, you know, a gross, bloody child no, on no, top of like one of her books. Obviously, it had to be all swaddled and clean already. He's intimately familiar <laughs> with how this works. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Now, a couple days later, unfortunately, was when she passed. And sources, one source said, you know, she died of puerperal fever. And another one said she died of pulmonary embolism. And I meant to Google to see kind of what those were, but I didn't. So, you know, here we are. But that brings us to the end of the Emily Duchatelet trilogy. And I love, this was one of my favorite ones. I say that about every mathematician, but I really like this one because from, from birth all the way up until death, she created her own rules. She decided what she was gonna do and she did it. And it's just, I mean, at a time- She was a wild woman. What? I'm trying to bring this woman. Like, I'm trying. This woman is amazing. She is amazing. <laughs> You're like, she's wild. She is not wild. I mean, maybe she. She obviously was right for a time in her life. But what? What was? What strikes me as so cool about her is that you know her dad. Her dad says at the beginning, she's ugly. She's this, that, and the other. She grows into this beautiful woman, and she like decides, I'm gonna live my best life, and I'm gonna decide what that life is. Um, she kind of reminds me a little bit of Hamilton where, you know, he wrote his life. He wrote his own ticket to do everything he wanted to do. And, you know, sure, some stuff happened. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, like with her, at the end of the day, she is now known for exactly what she wants to be known for. She wrote the book of her life, which I think is amazing. That is amazing. So thanks for joining us for today's episode of Infinitely Irrational can't get enough of the math and fun, visit us on the web at infinitelyirrational.com for math and research behind the stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email us at podcast at infinitelyirrational.com. If you love this episode, tell all your friends, subscribe, follow, and share. See you soon for the next one.